Hi everyone, Terry Welbrock here. Before diving into today's episode of Penis Politics, I love that title, it's so intriguing. You're going to love this episode. Um, it's on women's empowerment and we definitely need more of that and continue to strive to learn to empower ourselves as women, um, but also to empower one another and what a gift that is. I know I'm very blessed to have so many wonderful women friends in my life uh, who help empower me. And from daily texts with women I've known since I was a little kid, seven years old, uh, in our group, our group text every day and just again, cheering on each other's kids or being able to talk about struggles that we're going through or happy news that we want to share. Um, it's just such a gift to my life, I know. And I hope that you uh, open yourself up to the gift of empowerment that comes through friendships and um, support that you can find, yeah, out in the world. So... Anyway, enjoy this amazing, fabulous, wonderful conversation. Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I'm your host, Terry Wellrock, and I'm so excited today to have Karen Hinton with me. And she is a former journalist, political operative, and seasoned media professional, and author of Penis Politics, a memoir of women, men, and power. So welcome, Karen. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. Oh, absolutely. And again, I'm just so excited to talk about one, your your book, and you just launched that recently, correct? Yes, back in December is when I launched it, published it, and I've gotten really wonderful reviews that I so appreciate from both uh, official reviewers and then just readers. And the one thing I love the most is when a man or a woman says to me, oh, my gosh, that sounds exactly like something that happened to me. And they tell their stories. And I love hearing them, not because I love hearing bad news, but because I'm glad they're sharing that information with me and the public. Yes. Oh, I, I have said that so many times about when we put our truths out there, how these soul connections happen and people can resonate, one, not feel so all alone in their own journey and experiences, but two, uh, just to feel empowered because you sharing your story, I'm sure there's empowerment and um, they can they can hold on to that. So you're a hand to hold. And I, and I want to be, because that was one of the reasons why I wrote the book, I wanted to encourage other women to talk about the very issue the book deals with, um, that spectrum of sexual harassment, um, discrimination, sexual abuse, all the way to rape. And it's time for women to stand up and talk about it and find the courage to do it. And they need the courage. And I'm hoping that by telling my story, as well as other women I've known, that that will empower them. And I, I know that it has helped, um, at least among the uh, several dozen of women that I've talked to so far. 
Wonderful. So do you want to share with, with the audience uh, your experience and in, in kind of your, your journey into what inspired you to write this? Absolutely. Um, the, the reason I wrote the book, my initial reason was to help me recover from a, um, a, a brain injury that I had in a gym in New York. And because I had been a writer and been a speaker and developed messages for politicians as well as clients, and suddenly I could no longer do that. I couldn't get my thoughts together after I had the accident, and I needed to figure out a way to recover from that. And I was telling my husband stories about growing up in rural Mississippi, where I'm from, and I, he said to me, write all this down. Um, that will help you. So I started it. Um, and that is what really pushed me forward. Um, and one day I found myself writing a book. <laughs> and um, I'll just quickly uh, revert to the accident just so you know what happened. And it's part of the book, too. It's in one of the uh, last chapters. Um, I was working out at the gym. I always had been an athlete. I played basketball in elementary school, junior high, high school. And I was on a treadmill because it was really cold outside. And, you know, New York can have really cold weather compared to Mississippi. And I was um, working out on the treadmill. And I don't know what happened. I don't remember what happened. But I'm told that I fell or the treadmill pushed me off. And I hit my head on concrete under a very, very thin layer of carpet. Now, why the gym would just put a thin layer of carpet over concrete, I don't know (laughs) to this day. But it really um, caused severe damage to to my brain. And I had to be in the hospital for two months. And I was, and I lost a lot of memory and my ability to talk, walk, wow. <laughs> think, and write. And I've been recovering now for five years. And I still have a ways to go, but my husband has been incredible because he has really helped me write again and, and talk uh, coherently as much as I can. Yeah, yes. so that's what got me going on the book. Wow. Wow. What an experience. And I agree. Like, why wouldn't they at least have some rubber matting padding underneath that carpeting? Um, And it almost sounds like the effects like of a stroke with losing the ability to walk, talk. I mean, that kind of damage, that kind of injury to your brain. Wow. Yes. Yes. I don't, I don't remember what happened and no one really saw what happened. Um, there was a woman running next to me and she said she saw it, but you know, it all happened so quickly in seconds. So it's, 
it's not really clear even to my uh, neurosurgeon who who among several doctors saved my life um, but she doesn't even know what happened so but then it doesn't at this point <laughs> all that really matters to me is that Jim start putting padding under their machines and some gyms do oddly enough in rural Mississippi where my brother works out and it's owned by a hospital the gym is it's called the wellness center and they have always had padding under all of their machines and that just tells me anybody that has sense (laughs) about protecting the clients who go in that gym they would put padding under their machines and I never thought about it but it but I pay money to that gym or I did and they should have thought about it um, because clearly other gyms do that so you know that's one of the most frustrating things about my injury at this point is that that gym today in Mount Kisco, <laughs> New York, has not um, taken the carpet off of their concrete floors and put padding down. Oh wow! Um, because they're putting they're putting lives of their clients at risk, and there are elderly people who go in there to work out. So someone who has a heart attack or a stroke, as you referred to, um, can get harmed and possibly die. I came very close to it. So if if anybody out there who owns a gym is listening to this or you are a member of a gym, make sure you put padding down. It's not that expensive um, to do that. Right. No. And I agree. Oh my gosh, that's like a bonus perk to this conversation is is pass this message along to if you go to a gym, yeah, ask if they have padding down and uh, start to use your voice to to make demands that they do so. Yes, it, it, exactly, and it's it's very frustrating um, because when I w- walk into I'm still work. I still work out. And in fact, exercise, if any of your listeners have had um, that kind of brain injury or, or any injury, <laughs> really, um, that they exercise after. And you, you work up to where you were before the accident and then even grow because exercise does so much good for um, you to be able to improve whatever's missing in your life. And it makes you feel better emotionally. Um, Oh, I I could not agree more. I am uh, still recovering from mycotoxin poisoning. It's been, it was a year in April. And um, 
Yes. Just getting outside and walking with Sammy, you know, the, my therapy dog and um, along, we live on Hilton Head Island. So being near the water or I have a rebounder, I bounce on, you know, the rebounder out in the sun or whatever it is. I lift weights, any of those things. Yes. It makes me feel stronger. It makes me feel like I'm helping my body fight and heal. And I, I'm right there with you. Yes. Yes. And a, a for me, anyway, I can't speak for others, but for me, you have to start slow. Don't overdo it because I had a woman uh, who was my trainer before the accident, and um, I started going back to work out with her, and she helped me through so much because she said to me, slow down, take it easy one step at a time and she got me through it and most importantly I had a group of women who I had worked out with before the accident and they were I started going to group sessions with them and they were incredibly supportive didn't laugh at me (laughs) didn't uh, get frustrated because I was slower than they were um, they were terrific, and that really goes back to the book um, about, and I talk about this in the book, I call it a coterie of girls and women who trust each other and support each other to help you through trauma and healing. Um, so I always uh, bless my women friends because even those that I don't even live near anymore, because they were so powerful in helping me recover. I love that. I love the idea of just lifting one another up. And um, yes, again, we just had a wonderful dear friend of ours who reached out to us to tell us she has received a breast cancer diagnosis. And oh my gosh, just the the women who have surrounded her and um lifted her up and just really quick, a funny story about it. And then we'll, we'll steer to your book. But um, she was saying, yeah, chances are I'm going to lose my hair because she's having to, the chemo she's doing is a a pretty harsh um, concoction. And she said, so all of her, her people at at where she works um, have started collecting like funny hats and funny wigs and they've made this box and once a day like once she loses her hair she has to just like close her eyes and randomly pull one out or they're going to do some like raffle drawing or something and then she has to wear it for 24 hours and so she thinks she's just like so excited by this and again it's just again people lifting one another up and I love that idea yes lifting each other up is so important and um, I will take a dive back into the book because that is so important when especially when women suffer um, from an abuser uh, at work or at school or in college or in you know the doctor's office the lawyer's office wherever you are um, the grocery store if you work at a grocery store you know, sexual harassment, abuse, discrimination, even violence, um, you you need to lift each other up. And 
one of the reasons why I decided to write the book, um, or I started actually talking to my husband about things that had happened to me, I was in my attic and I uh, was trying to clean things up and organize them just because I didn't have anything to do. I didn't have a job anymore. And I, I just, okay, I'm up in my attic cleaning up, like to occupy myself. And I found this diary that I had written in high school from 1974 to 1976, my high school years. And in the diary were conversations and incidents, things that had happened to me. And I described them in my 16-year-old voice. And it's hilarious at times, (laughs) shocking at times, and very sad at times, because I suddenly, and this is after the injury, and I don't have a lot of memory back in my brain anymore about people, but I write about a a 16-year-old friend of mine, Janice, being what we called... um, the wrong thing happened in the book room and it was a wrong thing, but it was rape. We didn't call it rape because we didn't even know what that meant. And she was 16 and the man who raped her in the school book room was a school official who knew that she, she, this was a summer job that she had and she was organizing books in the book room. And he knew she was there. And he walked into the room, locked the door, and raped her. And, you know, when I was reading notes, my my diary thoughts about it, I was just like, whoa, wait a minute. And I had to reprocess all of that. And there were so many things I said in my diary that, were surprising to me that I said them so early in life. One of the things I wrote was we have to protect our friends and what do I need to do to protect Janice? And another thing I said was we have to be independent of men, (laughs) of boys. We have to be able to take care of ourselves whether we get married or not. You know, so, hey, I thought in the 70s, I was saying this when I was 16, but clearly that incident had had a big impact, definitely on Janice and also on her close group of friends. It was um, Maggie and Libby, too. And we shared this experience because Janice demanded that we not tell anyone about it and we never did we kept our promise to her and we never did and um it's it's a it's a story that really occupies the entire book even though it goes on to talk about my political days but when she is 50 years old she commits suicide and Yes, and I I remember that. I knew that, but I had really forgotten what had happened to her as a 16-year-old. And and I started processing that. 
And I began to understand that that incident changed the path she took afterwards. She um, dropped out of high school and she was brilliant. She was so smart, so talented, funny, um, sweet, and beautiful. <laughs> but she drops out of high school and marries someone a year older, and they go, and she goes into the military with him. He's in the Navy, she is his wife. But military life can be very hard, especially when you're 17 years old. And after that, her life took a specific, and she dropped out of school because of the rape. And that those paths that she took afterwards were not all bad, but it put her in a place where she wasn't ready for the tragedy and traumas that happened way after the rape. Um, so that gives you a sense of the feel of the book. Wow. How powerful and sad and yes, heartbreaking, but what, I mean, I, I'm so amazed that you had a voice, at least within your diary, and that you were able to access that and um, have, have documentation of this, of this event. Um, wow. What a gift. I will say, I have a box sitting next to me on the floor right now. It's a plastic bin and I, for whatever reason, kept notes that my friends and I would write back and forth to each other instead of texting back. You know, we didn't have phones back then. And, right. and this was right. in the in the early 80s. We would write notes and, and I kept these notes. And so we'd pass them under the oh, desk to each other. <laughs> and that's terrific. Yeah. And so one of them had I lost my virginity to date rape at 16. I didn't call it that, but for that, I have the date and everything because I found the piece of paper that had it written on it. And I, I, I can't remember right now what I wrote, but the words were something about, you know, that bad thing happened this day, blah, 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 blah. It, but I called it something mm -hmm. along those lines. And yeah, exactly like what you said. I, I didn't call it what it is, what we know now. Um, but, right. Yeah. Well, um, and I, uh, I think in many ways, um, Janice, well, I know that in, in many ways, Janice feared that no one would believe her. And this was just a DNA reaction to the rape. I mean, women say that now publicly. I didn't think anybody would believe me. And I just think that's an immediate reaction because we know that so many times men don't believe women. And sometimes women don't believe women. <clears throat> when they talk about abuse. And so it's so important to be willing to listen and accept what has happened. Um, and, you know, if it were to go to a trial or have some kind of criminal action or civil action, you, you wait and hear both sides if there is an argument to be made. Um, but you want to accept the the story that the woman is telling because 99% of the time she's telling the truth. And, and that is why Janice pulled back and did not want us to say anything. Um, and um, I will say that during, 
after reading my diary, um, I'm trying to also read other things. Um, but a diary is much easier to read than the news, right? Yes. But on, uh, and I was, had real trouble reading because I couldn't get past really five minutes and I'd lose my train of thought. But I would watch on television, and this would be in 2017, 18, 19, before COVID. And there was a lot of coverage about the Me Too movement and Time's Up and the issues that women in the movie industry, as well as in media um, and sports, were talking about things that had happened to them by a boss or a person in authority or a coach or a doctor in sports. And it was, for me, it really helped me put some pieces together about what happened to Janice at 16 and how it impacted us as friends. So, and then COVID hit and we have less attention on sexual harassment and really until the governor of New York got in trouble. And that relates to COVID, right? Because he was on television on CNN every day for months and he formed this huge group of supporters because he was helping them deal with COVID. And I thought at times he did a great job of doing that. Um, But it got, it started getting a little stupid and silly as it went on because his brother, Chris Cuomo was on CNN and interviewed him for these uh, press conferences that he had or, uh, interviews that they did about COVID. And um, so suddenly when women decided to come out and start talking about things he had done to them in the workplace, um, that suddenly brought attention back to the issue. So that was, that was really uh, valuable especially at the time when I'm uh, working on my book and I suddenly have this happening and I already had decided to talk about Cuomo because I'd worked for him. But now I had so many other stories to listen to and involve in the book, which I did. Yes. And one of the things that you brought up that I, I find so fascinating is that you said, you know, he had, he had amassed this following these people who were tuning into him as he would do these news conferences. And when these stories start to come out about what he's doing, you have so many people. I saw it happen with um, others that this has been brought to light where it's like, but wait, we like them and we, this can't be true. This can't be true about this person. They, they can't have done that. And again, another reason why so many women are, are afraid to speak up because um, again, having that, that feeling that nobody's going to believe me because, you know, this person is popular. This person is, um, you know, supposedly this mm-hmm. great person. Mm-hmm. Yes. And with Andrew Cuomo, um, 
there are still women who support him and they don't believe the 11 women. Um, why they don't believe the 11 women, I don't know because, um, as you may know, the New York Attorney General, Tish James, did a very extensive investigation into the claims, the charges, complaints. And the first thing she said at a press conference when she released the report was, I believe the 11 women. And that was very important to say um, because it made such a difference in the course of the accusations. Not long after that, Andrew Cuomo resigned as opposed to being impeached because he knew the state legislature would impeach him. To avoid that, he resigned. But still, there were women who would not accept what these 11 women said and what I said because they had developed such trust and emotional involvement with him due in part to COVID and those press conferences he had and maybe things that he also did as governor. He wasn't a bad governor in terms of policy and positions. He did a lot of important things, but to make sexual overtures to very young women in his office, this didn't just happen in passing, this was in his office, at least two, three of them were, and then there was also a state trooper, and this happened as she was doing work for him. Um, but you know, he's, he's engaging in a practice that he had publicly opposed. He said very clearly, women have a right to speak out about sexual harassment and abuse. He passed a law that made sexual harassment uh, uh, legal positions much stronger. But yet at the same time, he's breaking that law. Um, so this was a tough issue to really, for me, to get my head around because I had known him for so long. I'd known him since 1995, and now it's 2021, and I'm going, wow, you know, what's happening here? It was, it was tough, and it, it was so important for women to speak out in support of these 11 women, just like Tish James did. And I really hope that other attorney generals will be as bold and courageous as Tish James was. Oh, most definitely. And all, it, all that pops up in my head is just the, the power. It, it just has the power part of it. Um, yeah. Has to come into play. And so that's why just, empowering women and helping women take their power back uh, is just critical. Yes. And let's, let's talk about the title of the book yes. in that context. <laughs> right. Um, I called it penis politics, not because of the sexual overture, but because it is really about power, control, and authority. 
look, I'm not talking about all men here. I'm talking about some men who have this need to feed their egos and perhaps deal with their own insecurities. And when you have a young woman or any woman, but you feel that she is not strong enough to deal with your your sexual overtures to her, then you take that opportunity because you get you get some kind of value from it uh, because it makes you feel better. It makes you feel like you have control over these group of women that then you can turn to them and ask them to do things for you and they'll do it because they think, oh, he loves me. He cares for me. He thinks I'm pretty. He thinks I'm sexy. Um, he thinks I'll have sex with him. And that is what happened to some of the 11 women. And thank goodness that they spoke up because if it had been me, I, I don't know that at 25 or 30, if I'd been that age, I don't know that I would have had the ability to do it. And that is because of the power and control and authority that an employer, a boss, has over you. And you feel like, okay, if I don't giggle or get happy about the fact he's flirting with me or even let him touch me, then I may lose my job. Or he may push me over into a division where I'm not really doing what I want to do with that I love. And I'm cut off from the power structure. Because I'm not complying with whatever sexual overture or harassment or abuse that he's made me part of. And I saw that in Andrew Cuomo when I worked for him at HUD back in the 90s uh, during the Clinton administration. I saw that happen to, to myself as well as several women. But we never said anything. It was the 90s, and we were in Washington, D.C., and God knows the nation's capital is full of this, even today, this kind of just um, penis politics at play. We can talk about the Supreme Court in a minute if you want, but, you know, it was, it was in, so hard to talk about something like this, and so the women who did speak up, they did it because I believe over that time frame, from the 90s into the 2000s, 2010 and on, Me Too, Time's Up, all those kinds of verbiage that was out there, um, and more women talking about it, gave them the courage and the power to take it back and say, no, you're not going to have this kind of control over me. And I want other women to know that so it doesn't happen anymore. And now he's out of government, and I hope he stays out of government. Um, and because this is serious business, and it's very traumatic. It takes a lot of healing. Charlotte Bennett is one of the 11 women. She had been sexually abused in college. 
And he knew about that. But yet, he says to her, alone, in his office, no one else is there. And he says to her, would you date an older man? I'm tired. I'm lonely. He had broken up with a woman he had been partners with. They'd not married, been partners with for a long time. And that relationship had ended with the governor. And he says to her, I'm lonely. I'm tired. Would you date an older man? I would date a woman your age. And he says, have you ever been with an older man? I mean, questions that are so personal right. <laughs> and, and none of his business when she works for him and she's an executive assistant. She's 25 years old. She's sitting there thinking, what in the hell am I going to say to this man? I'm terrified by these questions. I don't know what to say to make him mad. At the same time, I don't want to encourage it. So she made the decision to what she called disappear. And she went and immediately complained to the general counsel of the governor's office. And they moved her to another job, a job she didn't really want. So that was their way of handling her, which was not right. You know, if you take, if you take it to people who are in charge of making sure laws are being followed <laughs> and he just passed the sexual harassment law, they just move her. And to my knowledge, no one went to him and said, you need to behave. You need to stop this because he continued it. It went on after Charlotte. Um, so, you know, it gets me riled just thinking through it. And the Charlotte story is how I begin my story because I wanted to set the tone of understanding how what happened to Janice, how it impacted her life going forward and how Charlotte Bennett dealt with the sexual overtures. And she played it very differently. Um, so that's a lesson to be learned for all of us, no matter our age. Oh, all I can think is the system and the way it was handled was aiding and abetting because he got the message loud and clear that, oh, well, I can continue doing this because nothing, there were no ramifications from her complaining about it. She just got moved. Right, exactly. And he knew that she had complained, but the the pattern continued and pattern is what um i talked about when the office of the attorney general and the lawyers who were investigating they wanted to talk to me and because they knew i had a story that was 20 years old but i agreed to talk to them because this was the pattern And that's how I started my conversation with them. I said, look, this happened. My incident with Andrew Cuomo was in California, not New York. 
Um, it was 20 years ago. It was about power, control, and authority. He and I were doing a project together in California um, to generate media coverage, primarily for Democrats in California. This was in 2000. And he was HUD secretary, and he was doing a project in Los Angeles, and he wanted to draw attention to the work he was doing because it was helping low-income people, which is terrific. And I'm all for that, obviously, with my career. And so we did a media event. We got a lot of media coverage. Uh, everyone went back to the hotel. And there was, you know, a dozen people on staff who were there. And we went back to the hotel. Um, and I was in my room after the event. He calls me from his room and says, why don't you come up and let's talk about what happened today and what we'll do tomorrow. Fine. Look, I had been, I had worked for him for five years. I had taken a lot of trips with him when we were in his hotel room talking about the event. And sometimes there would be other people there and sometimes it would just be me. But I didn't think about sexual overture at this point. But the difference was I was no longer an employee. I was a consultant because my husband and I had moved to California. He was in the military and he was based in Camp Pendleton, which is about an hour from L.A. And I had gotten to know the California media. So I helped him do this work. He hired me to do this specific thing. So I go up to his office. He's dimmed the light. There's music going. And I thought that was strange because other times it was never that kind of setting. But we, he sat down on the couch. I sat on the opposite couch. And we talked about the day. We talked about what would happen the next day. And then he started talking about uh, my marriage. And it was on the rocks. And he knew that from just the gossip rumor mill. And he's asking me about it. And I just thought, why is he, why are we talking about this? And I'm, I'm talking about it. And then I want to say, stop it, Karen. You don't need to tell him about this. So I said, look, I'm going to uh, go back to my room. We, I need some sleep. So we're ready for tomorrow. I get up and he embraces me. And it is not a hug. It is an embrace. Uh, we, we hug differently, right? When you just go up to somebody and you pat them on the back and give a little air kiss and that's all it is. <laughs> but this was an embrace. And I, I kind of pulled back. He pulled me back again. And he said, we should take care of each other. Um, we've had problems in the past. Let's take care of each other. And I didn't know what, to, I didn't know how to answer that question, just like Charlotte didn't know how to answer a question. But he embraces me again, and I can feel he's aroused. And, and I said, I really have to go. I'm going to leave now. I walk out, 
and I never bring it up again. And I called a girlfriend. Hey, can you believe this happened? What do you make of it? And she goes, hey, that was that was the wrong thing for him to do. He should not have done that. What's going on? I said, I don't know. But I do think it was because he and I had had problems in the past when I worked for him. We'd argued about certain things, which you can read the book to find out about all that. Um, so he wanted to bring me back into that semi-inner circle that he had. And the, he thought the way to do it would be to make sexual overtures to me. Would it have led to sex if I had um, embraced him back? I have, I have no idea. He, he could very well have said, oh, we can't do this. We're both married. What are we doing? What are we thinking? But it was a way to entice me back into his world. And at that moment, we don't know who's going to be president. It's December of 2000. And if you remember, there was this whole court battle between George Bush and Al Gore. And we didn't know who's going to be president. But if Al Gore won, I wanted to continue my career in D.C. And I was in California with a, with a Marine and I was falling out of love. And so I just didn't tell anybody. I said, hey, I got to I got to just keep this to myself. Because if Al Gore wins, great. If George Bush wins, I still need a way to be connected to Democrats. And I could do that through Andrew Cuomo's connections. Um, so I was thinking about myself and not really the issue of, of penis politics, power, control, authority. Um, so I always gear off into other areas because I'm Southern and I can't help it. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but the reason I called it penis politics is because one day when I heard about these women, as well as men who had spoken up about the bullying, which was a big issue for Andrew because it resulted in the possibility of his being impeached because he had, had bullied so many men in the state legislature. Um, I said to my husband, this is penis politics. And he kind of laughed. He said, where'd you come up with that? I said, I don't know, maybe alliteration, penis politics. But that's what this is. And he said, okay, we're going to call the book penis politics. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's what I was. And there were some people who told us not to use that title. But there were more people who said, yes, use it. It'll grab attention. And it did. Um, so, but I'm still beholden to that word because that phrase, because I really do believe that it is about power. Sorry that took so long, but oh. there you have it. <laughs> no, I'm so grateful that you did. And thank you for sharing. And yes, and um, yeah, sharing your truth. And I personally, when I read it, uh, when I received the email for us connecting and I said, oh my gosh, I love the title of this book. <laughs> like that was my gut reaction <laughs> because um, right. truly, truly it is um, penis politics. And even, I mean, even, and that even applies like outside the world of politics. Um, you know, so one of my yes. harassments was 
or actually two of them. One was my choir director and another a religious education director within yeah. the Catholic church. And there's penis politics within the Catholic church we know. So yeah. um yeah, very much so. Wow. Well, I could sit here and talk to you for another couple of hours. <laughs> um, so how do how do folks, uh, one, get in contact with you, follow you, and and then also get a hold of the book? Well, um, go to my website, which is www.penisslashpolitics.com. And on the website, you can buy the book. You also can read the reviews. You also can read media coverage. I have a People magazine did a piece that really gives a great overview of the book and the dynamics of it. Um, And it's the first thing you'll see on the media page. And then I also did, I've done some video reading of the book. And so there's uh, passages that you can click on and read uh, and listen to because um, it, it's me on a video. Um, and so anyway, there's a way there to do, to really answer a lot of other questions about why I wrote the book. And I just want to say uh, your name of your podcast healing is so important to me because it was healing from my brain injury and it was healing from the story those 11 women told. Um, and there's a process for going through all this. And as women, we need to learn about it and communicate it with other women and girls. Yeah. So thank you for having podcast. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. That made my heart smile. And the first thing that I thought as you were talking was in helping Janice heal. Right. I mean, like that, that all the Janices. Uh, find their healing. And um, so again, thank you for shining that light, for writing this book, for being with me today and just uh, sharing your truth because um, again, you're, you're empowering women and holding their hand and it's just a beautiful gift to give to them. So thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us on the Healing Place podcast today. And remember until next time, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Terry Welbrock again. Just wanted to thank you for listening to the episode today and remind you to visit my website as well as the academy.terrywelbrock.com for the courses. But if you go to my website, terrywelbrock.com, you can sign up for my monthly Hope for Healing newsletter, which is also jam-packed with information and strategies and blog pieces and guest blog pieces and links to shows um, and just a great space for, uh, again, healing and hope. Thanks for, again, being here and being a part of this healing space. I very much appreciate you. All right. Bye-bye.